thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And we are in the presence of greatness today, my friends. So get ready for one of the most informative, mind-boggling, extraordinary podcasts where we challenge the institutions, we question political agenda, and we throw, we, we throw around the questions and the conversations that are on everybody's lips right now about a product that is prolifically used worldwide. It's on Cindy's personal agenda to rule it out of the Sunshine Coast specifically. And she is taking on the institution and the establishment here on the Sunshine Coast and hopefully across Australia, which is one of the reasons why we've got the amazing Carrie Gillum. She is a journalist from the States who has penned a book called Whitewash. Now, that book was released back in October last year, in 2017, specifically on glyphosate and trying to understand where the corruption has occurred because this particular chemical is known to cause cancers and illnesses, yet politically it's touted that it's safe enough to drink. Give me freaking strength. (laughs) Everything we have heard about glyphosate otherwise known as Monsanto's Roundup. If you guys are using that in your gardens, you want to prick up your ears right now. I know that it's being used around my place and my property. So this conversation is going to be particularly relevant for those of us that have either seen it used or have used it or have partners that are unaware or whatever the case may be. This is the podcast to prick up your ears and pay attention because this is the stuff that Cindy's been talking about for years when it comes to the shikimate pathway, when it comes to um, the, the wellness of the human existence, mind, body, and physiology, biology, everything. It affects everything. So welcome to today's podcast, Carrie. We are beyond excited to share the next hour with you. And hell, let's just say it might go over. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> well, it's been recorded so you can use it anytime you like. <laughs> <laughs> my own personal life inspiration right here. Thank you. The Carrie. Oh, whoops. Sorry, beautiful girl. Oh. It's going to be like this the whole podcast, Kimmy. No, I'm sorry, sweetie. No, no it's going to be. We've all got things to ask. I know. <laughs> well, I just thought before we shoot into all of your oh, incredible God. knowledge, I would love to know a little bit about your background, Carrie, and how and what led you to who and where you are today. Oh, my. Well, I, uh, as I say on my website, I'm a Kansas girl. I was born in Kansas. Kansas is, you know, in the heartland of the uh, continental United States. It's the largest wheat growing, wheat producing state in the United States is farm country. You know, I grew up in farm country, um, but I never really knew much about farming or about food and agriculture. You know, my goal as I was growing up was to get the heck out of Kansas, uh, you know, and, and get to the big city. So uh, when I graduated 
after I graduated the university here, I moved um, immediately out of Kansas. I took a job in Atlanta uh, and was was covering things like the banking industry and insurance and writing about commercial real estate. I covered sports business. I covered you know things like the the Centennial Olympics that were held in Atlanta. Uh, never had any interest really in food and agriculture, but Reuters, the international news agency that I worked for, moved me to Kansas City in 1998 and said, we want you to start covering food and agriculture. This company called Monsanto, based in St. Louis, Missouri, just a, a few hours away from Kansas City, had just introduced these genetically engineered crops, and they were revolutionizing not just you know U.S. agriculture and food production, but really global agriculture. At least that was the intent. Uh, and these GMOs came uh, accompanied by you know these pesticides, specifically glyphosate-based uh, herbicides, Roundup, and, and other products that Monsanto was selling. So, I mean, it was my job since 1998 to to dig in and spend a lot of time with farmers in their fields, spend a lot of time at Monsanto, which I did, get to know them, see their test fields, their laboratories, you know, learn, learn about the science, you know, learn about the data behind this, uh, meet with regulators. I mean, that's what I've done for the last 20 years really is, is just immerse myself in this world. And, uh, you know, this publisher came to me and said, you're, you're writing fascinating stuff. Would you write a book? And I said, well, gosh, nobody's going to want to read a book about this. <laughs> and um, They convinced me I was wrong. And so 20 years of research into this book, Whitewash. And, um, you know, it's, it's been amazing that people are so interested and are paying attention. And I'm so glad because this really does, you know, affect our health and, and our future generations, you know, our kids. So I always love to talk about it. <laughs> What was your belief about the agricultural industry being grown up in Kansas and then coming back to Kansas in the 90s? What was your belief about the agricultural industry and Roundup? Did you have any preconceived notions? I really did not. I mean, as I, as I write in the intro to the book, I used Roundup. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. You know, I am a little OCD. I like things to be neat and clean. I like my lawn to be neat and clean and my gardens and I can't stand weeds and, you know, Roundup would knock them out pretty good. So I would always have a jug of Roundup in my, in my garage. Um, I don't anymore <laughs> now that I know what I know, um, but I did. And I didn't worry about eating foods with pesticides in them or genetically modified anything. You know, I, I just was not aware of the science or the data, um, you know, that are behind these, these technologies and these products uh, it, at that time. But of course, what I've learned and, and the data that I have, you know, in stacks and stacks on my desk here uh, really has made me much more aware and much more concerned about what I eat, um, you know, what I feed my children and what policies I support. You know, it's been really eye-opening for me. It's been an eye-opening journey for me, really, these last 20 years. It's, it's really about education, um, I believe, because... So, it's almost like, you know, which pill are you going to take, the red or the blue one? But once you take the right pill and you wake up, you can't go back. You, you know, it's, it's really hard to go back. So how did it evolve in your mind um, as to what was going on? How did, how did that um, come about? Well, as I, as I try to explain, it really is just a, 
part of doing my job. I mean, you know, I was a journalist and as a journalist, you followed the facts, you know, you dig down and you find the truth. You don't just let yourself be led by the nose, by corporate interests or those who are selling products and, and really want um, to push propaganda. You have to look at all the different sides and the, and the impacts. And you hear a lot about the rewards of different things like glyphosate, Roundup, GMOs, but you have to also understand the risks. And as I became more educated and did more research and spent more time with Monsanto, frankly, I, I came to see that what I was hearing from their side about all of the rewards, you know, some of it was true, not all of it was true. It didn't match up with what I was seeing on the ground with the farmers uh, and, and with some of the scientists. And as glyphosate use expanded, which it did dramatically after the introduction of genetically engineered crops, that, I mean, that was the purpose for introducing genetically engineered crops was to sell more Roundup. That's just a fact that a lot of people don't understand, but but that was the purpose. Monsanto discusses this with investors and in internal documents. But, um, you know, with that rise in Roundup or glyphosate use came more and more research because people are studying it. It's affecting the environment. It's affecting biodiversity and, and uh, you know, animal population and pollinator populations. And people start studying how it's affecting human health. And so you just follow the research. I mean, that's what I did. I've read more research papers, I think, and talked to more scientists and dug through literally thousands and thousands and thousands of regulatory documents and, um, you know, from our regulators here in the United States. And if you take the time to do that, I mean, it's, it's not that hard to see uh, where it leads you. Um, I, I just think not a lot of people have the time or the interest necessarily to do that about a pesticide, right? And that's why they read your book, because you have um, beautifully encapsulated um, what you have learned over the last 20 years into a um, whitewash. Yeah, it's, it's just brilliant. So um, let me know about Monsanto. Let us, tell us about Monsanto. You spent time with them. What are they like? Oh, my. Well, of course, Monsanto, you know, it's a company, so it's made up of a lot of different people. And I have to say, I really liked most of the people there I mean, that I dealt with. You know, I dealt with the chairman, um, Hugh McCall, for, for a while. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, Hugh McCall. I'm thinking, Hugh McCall was the chairman of Bank of America, who I dealt with. Um, uh, no, that was Hugh Grant, as chairman of Monsanto. Uh, really liked him. Um, Brent Begeman uh, really liked him. Rob Fraley, in particular, one of their lead uh, technology, lead scientists, Rob Fraley, uh, I had a lot of respect for him. Uh, they, they are very brilliant people, and they were you know, doing what they were supposed to do, which was make a lot of money for their investors. Their job, their goal, their purpose was to make money. So you can't really, in, in a capitalistic society like we run, you know, it's hard to fault them for doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is make money. I guess I put more of the, the fault or the blame on public officials, you know, the, those regulators and lawmakers and others who are supposed to be accountable to the public and, and really sort of let Monsanto drive the agenda and drive the regulatory process and the regulatory assessments. And that's a pretty profound problem that we have in the, in the United States. And I'm not as familiar with the political process in Australia, but when you let corporate interest have so much control and so much power and use their money to lobby and to really dominate the, the debates and the discussions in Washington, D.C., you know, the, the 
profit is always going to win over public interest. And that is definitely what we have seen in the United States. And Monsanto is just the poster child, you know, really for that. Um, now that said, I mean, I do have a problem and I, I explained this to the European Union and I lay this out in the book. There were a lot of deceptive tactics that have been undertaken by Monsanto, a lot of deception aimed at fooling consumers, fooling regulators, fooling lawmakers and farmers um, to mask the risks, to mask the dangers, and and to, you know, prop up and, and propagandize the rewards. So, um, you know, that that's something that the documents very clearly show. It's not my opinion. It's it's data driven. You know, that's that's what they did. There was deception. There's there's been a lot of it just even recently in the last few years. Um, but is it illegal? You know, no, <laughs> it's not. Um, whether or not they will pay for it, you know, is what we will find out through this, uh, these lawsuits that are ongoing right now. There's some 4,000 people suing Monsanto uh, right now saying they knew this stuff could cause cancer and they tried to hide it. So we'll see how that shakes out. So let's start back in the 1980s when the, the first rumblings of cancer and glyphosate had an association. Um, can you take us through the steps of what happened in the 80s and then the 90s and now we're seeing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um, or, you know, they're basically saying that it does cause that, that cancer. So can you just go through those steps for us? Sure. So, yeah, Monsanto introduced glyphosate in 1974. You know, it was a patented um, molecule, a patented substance that they had, and they used it uh, in a Roundup is the one people know best, but there are a number of other trade names that they, that they sold it under. Um, you know, and, and they have different ingredients, different surfactants and all. The EPA only really requires them to study the active ingredient glyphosate and provide only studies that show that this is you know, not going to be an undue risk and not cause cancer and that sort of thing. Um, but early on, very early on, one of the very first studies that Monsanto turned into the EPA to, to get this, this regulatory approval for glyphosate showed that all of these mice that were being treated with glyphosate developed rare tumors and the control group, the mice that were not exposed to glyphosate did not get these tumors. And so what happened was the EPA toxicologist looked at it and said, wow, this data that you gave us Monsanto looks like your product is, you know, carcinogenic. Looks like it's probably carcinogenic. And um, that became a big multi-year battle then because Monsanto would not take that. And they fought back and they pushed back and they twisted political arms. And, um, oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it goes on and on. I talk about it quite a bit in the book. But uh, the, the EPA scientists held their ground for a while and said, you know, it's not our job to protect you. It's our job to protect the public. Um, but ultimately, Monsanto prevailed, and uh, those scientists at the EPA were overruled, and uh, the EPA's official designation or classification was that then changed to be that it was not likely to be carcinogenic. They had asked Monsanto at one point to redo the study, because Monsanto was so insistent that they were wrong, and Monsanto refused to redo the study. Um, so, you know, that was sort of an early indication, but there have been numerous toxicology studies. Those are animal testing studies, um, epidemiology studies uh, from numerous countries around the world that have shown, you know, an array of, of problems, you know, 
kidney problems, uh, liver, uh, you know, not only the, the different types of cancers, but maybe some birth defects. There are a number of Argentina farmers who have uh, reported birth defects from uh, after they were exposed or their spouses were exposed, and then they had children born with profound birth defects. Um, so you, you know, you see a lot of that. And the International Agency for Research on Cancer, when they looked at all of this body of published peer-reviewed research, what they came up with when they put it all together, they said, what this, you know, what this all adds up to is a classification of a probable human carcinogen uh, with a, the most positive linkage that they could find to non-Hodgkin lymphoma, you know, which is a type of blood cancer. So, you know, that's where we are with the science. And Monsanto disputes it and says all of that science is, is not credible and is flawed uh, and should be discredited and discounted. Mm. So under, on what grounds do they, on what grounds do they say that when there's evidence to the contrary? Surely they need to provide proof. Well, and the, the public are just so blindsided by this. I, I'm not, I, I can't wrap my head around our ignorance. Well, there's sort of two ways to answer that, I guess. I mean, you have the regulatory support for Monsanto's position. The EPA, again, just recently came out with its new risk assessment and said, you know, it doesn't cause, we don't think it causes cancer. It's not likely to cause cancer. They said, we've looked at all the studies. Now, the EPA, our regulators in the U.S., and probably yours in Australia, and definitely the, the ones in Europe, look primarily at unpublished studies, sort of secret trade secret studies that come from the industry, that come from Monsanto or other chemical companies who are using glyphosate. And, and so they look a lot to the industry for guidance, and they, and they let the industry guide them on how to assess a lot of this data. Uh, whereas this International Agency for Research on Cancer, they, they don't give as much weight to the industry studies. They give a lot more weight to independent studies that come from authors who are not selling glyphosate you know, or, or company. You know. um, so, you know, like in court, Monsanto will say, we have 800 studies behind us that show it doesn't cause cancer. And we have the EPA and we have European regulators, and they all say it doesn't cause cancer. So this little group of scientists at the International Agency for Research on Cancer, part of the World Health Organization, they're just crazy and they're wrong and they're biased and they don't know what they're talking about and you should just ignore anything that they tell you. Um, so, you know, that's Monsanto's position. And <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Carrie, can you tell me, I mean, when Cindy did her documentary, What's With Wheat, one of the things that, came out of that was was listening to an incredible researcher and scientist called Stephanie Senek. And one of her, the big things that was interesting to me as a mum was that someone who had no bias and no, um, you know, monetary investment, anything like this, was so open with what she had discovered around glyphosates. And I'm just curious for you as a mum, what does it mean to you? And is it because you're a mum that you're so passionately driven to have people see the truth or is there other reasons in behind why you want this out? Well, that's such a good question. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think it's twofold. I think, yes, being a mother is a driving factor because you want, I have found that I am so uh, aware now and concerned about what I feed my children, actually more so than I am about what I consume myself. 
you know, um, I guess, you know, I feel like I'm old, <laughs> you know, I've already probably, uh, you know, consumed a lot of bad things, but you know, you really, the children, you know, the future of our children and you really want to protect them and you want to protect their health and you want to give them the very best foundation you know, for as they go out in the world and they grow up. And, and a big part of that, of course, is the food you feed them. I mean, the food is, this is our core of our life and our health and our well-being. And, and it's our way to, to hopefully, you know, hold off disease and um, prevent illness if we can. And pesticides in our foods, glyphosate is only one of them. I mean, you know, we have hundreds of different pesticides, fungicides, insecticides, and herbicides that are commonly found in our food. Uh, glyphosate is one of the most widely used. Maybe it's one of the best known, but it's certainly not the only one. And and I don't want that message to get lost. Uh, I call it the poster child for a bigger problem: a pesticide-dependent food system. You know, we have been we have been have this pounded into us now for decades that we have to use these pesticides. Our farmers have to use them to feed the world. And otherwise, you know, all these poor nations are going to starve. And, and none of that is true. It's propaganda. It's not true. And we've lost our sense of balance. We've lost our ability to recognize risk versus reward and try to analyze and decide policies that protect public health. And we're just, we're just letting these corporations, a handful of corporations, generate billions of dollars in profit at the expense of the health of our future generations. So, yeah, I mean, a big part of it is being a mom. And, and the other part of it is I'm a journalist. And when you're a journalist, your job is to get the information out there that people really kind of sometimes don't want to get out there. So uh, that's what drives me, I guess. It just seems wrong. It seems unfair to hide this information from people. Can I put it another way to you, though? And we're very quick to blame the big corporations, we're very quick to blame doctors for not understanding nutrition. Do you think we also need to take some responsibility though? Like in a way, we're becoming more lazy. You even said it at the beginning, you like things neat and tidy and it's easy to quickly put a spray on and have those things killed. It's easy to take a tablet. It's easy to use a processed food. Our lives seem to be driven around being so busy that we want everything easy. Even our health, we want to fix it easy. Do you think these big corporations are all to blame or do you think we personally need to take some responsibility because as a consumer, we're driving behaviors which drive these big companies to see a money angle. Do you think that's something to do with it? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, personal responsibility uh, is the answer to everything, right? Um, but but you do see it both ways. So there, certainly, I think if you're not informed about the risks, or perhaps you've just decided you don't care, you are informed, but you don't care, uh, and you want to choose the lazy route, that's one thing. But you do see so many people, as you said, who are aware and who are driving food companies to make changes. You see people rising up and saying, we don't want pesticides in our foods. We don't want them sprayed in our parks. Uh, you know, we want, we don't want additives in our food, you know, so I think the more that consumers become aware and become informed and become engaged, that is, that is so important to driving change. Um, I, I'm just trying to be helpful in that regard because it is really difficult to get at truthful information unless you, you know, can spend all day long working on it um, as part of your job. But it's not easy to get to the data. It's not easy to get to the truth necessarily. And have you had much backlash from 
those sorts of, so, so from Monsanto or or anybody who's who stands in opposition that is credible? Well, I, I certainly feel like I've had a lot. Now, I think you guys have probably all experienced your own, maybe to more of a degree. But, yeah, I mean, Monsanto has been working to discredit and, um, you know, basically get rid of me professionally, oh, golly, at least the last decade. And, uh, you know, part of that is even has been found in the documents. They, they set up. Monsanto PR groups and others who work with them set up what we call front groups. I talk about this in the book. You can see it in the internal Monsanto documents that we've, we've obtained and that I lay out in the book. They set up these organizations that are meant to look independent and credible and authentic, like they're consumer groups or science-based policy groups. You never would know that the chemical industry players like Monsanto are behind them. And then these groups come out and say horrible things about people like me. Um, or Eric Lipton at the New York Times, or Danny Hakem at the New York Times, um, and, and certain scientists, Chuck Benbrook, all the IARC scientists, Aaron Blair, who was with the National Cancer Institute for so long. You know, they, they work really hard. There's a new website out that came out this year called Deniers for Hire, um, and it, it focuses about me, and as I said, some of the New York Times reporters and certain scientists uh, because we're all supposed to be, I guess, deniers for hire. I'm not sure it's very clever. But, um, <laughs> that's, so, you know, that, that's what they do. They work to discredit people who try to raise a red flag or try to get in their way. And they try to get me fired from Reuters for a really long time. The latest, I got to tell you this, the latest strategy is to try to say that, uh, that myself and other people that I work with are actually in cahoots with Russia. <laughs> to try to undermine the American food oh. supply. <laughs> so it gets a little crazy. Oh, gosh. There was um, a wonderful TED talk quite a few years ago called AstroTurfing, and that's when I learned about what big corporations were doing and creating fake grassroots movements as you you're just talking about now and you talk about also mummy bloggers people that are trying to make a dollar on the the net as a mummy blogger can you tell us about some of those because I'm sure I've been attacked by a couple of those in Canada (laughs) (laughs) probably yeah (laughs) oh it's a it's a it's like a secret army of soldiers that are spread around the world. Um, And it sounds like such a conspiracy, like you couldn't believe that it's true. If you didn't see all of these internal documents where they lay it all out, it is, it's true and it's brilliant, but yeah, they've recruited mommy bloggers. That's what, that's what they call them. Mommy bloggers. Um, They have female farmer bloggers they have Monsanto's organized a group of dietitians so that they can blog and write about, you know, how you don't need to worry about pesticides in your food and you don't need to worry about genetically engineered, you know, that kind of thing. Um, they talk about trying to get stuff posted on WebMD and, you know, medical websites and things like that, that again will not ever look like they came from Monsanto or chemical industry players. They'll look like they come from nutritionists, dietitians moms, you know, that, that sort of thing. It's, it's genius, right? <laughs> um, and we never would have known about this if we hadn't gotten access to all of these uh, documents and, and the money trail that's going to a lot of these different 
players, going to a lot of professors, you know, um, who are speaking out and speaking in favor of their products, but, but acting like they don't have any ties to the industry. It's, Gosh, it's actually scary, Carrie, because we've got a friend, a mutual friend, who's an emergency surgeon at one of our local hospitals here, one of our big hospitals. And um, it's very fascinating to watch him and Cindy have heated discussions around certain topics. He is so adamant and so sure of the literature, the evidence-based science, the, the reports, the, the documents that he reads on certain things that him and Cindy talk about, particularly around food. That it, but he won't, even, he won't even entertain the fact that there could be another perspective or that there is some form of astroturfing or whitewashing going on in the background. How, how do we, as um, a small group, ever get through not only their so-called intellect, but also their egos around what they're learning and have learned. Mm. You know, I, I think there are certain people, obviously, where you, you just can't do that. And you don't know if they actually are authentic in their belief or if they have, an, you know, a political agenda behind that and, and are part of a collaboration with industry or something. You know, we've learned that, you know, an editor of one of the critical journals, you know, was getting paid by Monsanto at a time when there were articles being published in this health journal. Uh, You know, it's so difficult to know. But I think if someone is truly deeply rooted in their belief, uh, you know, you can bang your head against the wall and spend all day long trying to change their mind or you can move on, right, to to people who are more open-minded. But the data, it really doesn't, doesn't lie. I think if you if you look at the whole compilation of research out there, it, it, it is true that there's nothing that shows us that this definitively causes cancer at this point. Um, you know, if there was probably our international agency for research on cancer would have said this definitely causes cancer. They said, it looks like it's a probable human carcinogen. Uh, the epidemiology evidence was somewhat weak, but the epidemiology, that, that's an inherent problem that we have with ever trying to tie pesticides or chemicals in our environment to disease. We're exposed to so many things, and there really isn't very close you know, observation and testing to try to track disease to specific pesticides, and that's by design. You know, there's a lot of powerful forces that really don't want to track that very closely. Um, and we don't do experiments on humans obviously, like we do on laboratory animals. And the chemical industry says, you know what, all of those animals that are getting cancer, you know, when they expose, are exposed, that doesn't necessarily mean humans would get it. So, you know, it's, it's a high hurdle to prove that any substance definitively causes cancer. And, uh, you know, they've gotten pretty darn close with glyphosate. And um, they're still, you know, that's, that's still being debated right now. Um, but I think there's definitely enough evidence in the pervasiveness of it in our food and our water and our own bodies, right? You find it in human urine um, on a very regular basis. Uh, I, th- I think it's definitely reason to be cautious about this, this chemical and take a, take a stand on it like you guys are. I find it uh, really fascinating, Carrie, that um, we're focusing on cancer, but if we have a look at the patents on Uh, glyphosate in particular. We look back in the 60s and it was used as a a descaling agent. So it would 
take out the metals. Like if you boil your kettle enough times, you need to descale it, get rid of the metals that have, are around the surface of it. So it was first patented as a, a descaling agent. So it attracts metals um, and that's how they figured out um, that it could be a herbicide by attracting the metal magnesium um, so that the shikimate pathway couldn't uh, work or an enzyme in the shikimate pathway wouldn't work. And so when we start to look at, we go away from cancer and we start to just look at that aspect of it, we're starting to see neurological um, issues as a result of um, bacteria, plants um, and fungi not being able to uh, produce tyrosine, tryptophan, phenylalanine, folic acid, enterobactin, which is a carrier for iron, as well as coenzyme Q10. So, you know, we're not even focusing on these things. And then in 2010, uh, the new patent on glyphosate is an antibiotic. So we're spraying antibiotics as desiccating agents on you know, crops just before they're harvested and they're not even genetically modified. They're trying to, you know, dry them. And then we're spraying them on all our genetically modified foods. And our council here on the Sunshine Coast sprays it everywhere. They, every time I see someone spraying, I go up to them and I say, what are you spraying? And they say, Roundup, it's safe. And I had one guy actually say to me, oh, they use it on organic um, farms. <laughs> I just looked at him and I went, oh, my gosh, you've swallowed the wrong pill. You know? <laughs> so, you know, we're just concentrating on cancer in that aspect. But the, when you, you see that it is actually patented as an antibiotic and whether um, they want to use it as an antibiotic in the pharmaceutical realm, I don't know. I don't know why it was patented as that. But when we start to see that, we're killing the very ability of our body um, to pr- produce uh, an immune system for us to produce uh, aromatic amino acids to for our neurotransmitters and so we start to look at these things and it becomes almost all-encompassing um, and I just I just don't know where how do we educate people I like I know we've asked this question a million times but how do you educate your council to stop spraying it on the sports grounds, you know, are you doing it? Are you are you an advocate in Kansas um, to your council? I, I don't know what you call your your right. Um, yeah, I've been really careful, and I and I've gotten criticized, um, you know, by activists actually for this. I've, I've tried to be really careful to not be an av- activist, to not lose my journalistic position and become an activist where I'm pounding a table and saying, you need to ban this or you need to ban that. When I went to to Europe and testified to the parliament, I told them ahead of time, I'm not going to come over here and say you should ban glyphosate. I personally feel that's above my pay grade. I think there's a lot of considerations, you know, that have to be have to be weighed and taken into account when you regulate chemicals. And that's not my specialty. That's not my job. My job is to bring truth to light and to help people understand the risks that come with the rewards. And all these things that you've talked about are the risks. And these are the risks that we have not been told about, that have been hidden. And you're right. I mean, it's so much more than cancer. People focus on that because so many people have cancer. You know, I I think now one in every two men, one in every three women. But, 
but this the way that the glyphosate, the new science that's coming out, showing how it affects the microbiome in the gut, uh, which is what you're talking about, because that affects the body's ability to do everything, pretty much our, our whole immune system uh, relies on um, having a pretty healthy um, gut. And the way it affects plants, you know, is shown to have the same impact on some of this um, microbial activity uh, in the human body. So um, it is certainly not safe enough to drink. It's definitely not as safe as it's been portrayed to be. And, and that's a big part of the problem because if we had been told long ago, this is really effective, but we have to be really cautious about the way we use it and, and be very restrictive and be very protective of public health, it might be a completely different story today, you know, um, but we weren't. Everybody was told, ah, you can, you know, bathe in it. It's safe enough to drink it. It's safer than table salt. And um, farmers haven't been as protective of their health. They haven't worn protective gear like they should. They haven't washed like they should. And they've used it, like you said, on everything. It's sprayed everywhere. It's sprayed on children's parks and our playgrounds and your lawn and your dog's out there rolling in it. Your kids are playing in it. And um, it's it's just an imbalance uh, that we've we've gotten caught up in. It's almost like we haven't learnt the lesson. So your book has been likened to Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, and her um, focus was DDT. So my mum is from Iowa. She was born in 1937. In 38 and 39, they sprayed arsenic and lead across the 14 states of the US in the corn belt and the wheat belt. Mm -hmm. And by 1945, She's a corn farmer's daughter. She um, was sprayed with DDT. They did it for the nits in their hair. They, mm. you know, they they sprayed it everywhere. Now, my mum, my sister was also born in the US, and both of them are dead from cancer. Oh. And like I'm fortunate, I was born here. So was my brother and my father. We were born over here. Dad was a Kiwi, and I just um, and we're you know my dad's ninety, and I just. I just feel like we haven't learnt the lesson. History, you know, Monsanto was the maker of DDT. They said it was safe. If you have a look at the advertising, it's safe for me, it's good for me. Are we going to just go through the same thing but with a product that's worse? I was listening to Dr Huber speak and Dr Huber basically was asked the question, um, okay, if you had to choose between DDT and glyphosate, what would you choose? And he said, hands down, DDT. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just about cried at that point because I, I thought I've been, I'm a bit of an activist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am an activist and I have been travelling the country uh, telling people about the effects of glyphosate. I don't have your information um, I can just suggest that they they read Whitewash. I actually have three books up when I talk and they are Silent Spring, Our Stolen Future and Whitewash. And I say read these three books so that you understand that we have to become advocates with our, um, our hip pocket, with our money. We have to start buying foods um, that are not sprayed with these chemicals. And I, I remember hearing you talk about another chemical that affects the development of the brain in unborn children. And I have a paediatric friend who is concerned about this too because she's starting to see the development of the brain um, is, is not good in, in, in our next generation. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I said that glyphosate is the one we know because of Roundup and Monsanto 
that it's really just the poster child for a much bigger problem with that we're dousing ourselves and our kids in these pesticides and chlorpyrifos. Yes, I mean, the studies are so definitive and show that it does this damage to children's brains and we're spraying it on our fruits and vegetables that we're feeding our little toddlers. And, uh, you know, it's been banned in the United States from household use because we know it's so dangerous. And it was supposed to be banned from agricultural use because we know it's so dangerous. The EPA scientists say it's dangerous. We can't, no level can be, be safe on our food and our water. And yet our government is in the United States is like, oh, you know, Dow Chemical wants us to keep selling it and they're giving us some money. And so we're going to just let it stay on the market. And it's, you know, it almost feels criminal. I mean, it, it really does. Um, but, but again, these are just, you know, examples. We have so many different pesticides now that are used in our food system and it's really out of control. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the environmental calamities <laughs> that all of this is affecting. Um, but, you know, that goes hand in hand. It's not just us humans. It's, you know, we're screwing up our, our world pretty good with this stuff. Yeah. That was I, something. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, Karen. No, no, no. You go. I'll just say one more thing and then I'll leave it to you guys to ask. No, no, no. I um, was traveling around Australia doing a tour and I happened to have a, uh, a dinner with a, a lady who worked for Landcare and they were trying to save this budgerigard, um, or budgie as we call them here, um, that was becoming extinct. And um, apparently the where they land here in Victoria from Tasmania, they um, actually have... Um, an environment that it has been taken over by a weed. And so I said, oh, so you're manually taking out the weeds so that, you know, other things can grow. And they, she said, oh, no, we use glyphosate. Of course they do. <laughs> I just looked at it and I went, what? You're killing the whole ecology of the soil. You're putting it into our waterways. You're, you're destroying, um, you know, our oceans. I'm surprised she's still alive. To I'm save, just saying. From me, yeah. Yes. To save a budgie. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I just, I'm just blown away by, this is land care. This is our part of our environmental helping um, groups that uh, are there to save like species. <laughs> And they're spraying glyphosate. And they're spraying glyphosate. But again, they've been told, right, that it's so safe, that it's fine for aquatic organisms, that it's fine, that it, you know, uh, dissipates in the soil rapidly. You know, this is what they've been told, right? I mean, glyphosate was introduced as the savior, really, because it was so much safer than things that farmers had been using on our food. Uh, You know, and in many respects, that is true that in an acute toxicity basis, it, it is or was safer than uh, than things like paraquat, for instance, you know, an herbicide that will kill you if you accidentally get a few drops on your tongue, you're going to drop dead in a couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, farmers are like, of course, we'll give us glyphosate and we'll, we won't need to use paraquat so much. So on that basis, it was safer, but, um, but over the long term and the chronic effects and these this just this ubiquitous, this pervasive use is is ridiculous, and we've lost our way. That's the message of the book. We've lost our way. We've lost our sense of balance. We're putting our future generations at risk, uh, and you know the people who are really benefiting are these people of Monsanto and Bayer, Dupont and Dow. 
uh, and the billions of dollars that are being raked in. So, you know, it, it, pay heed. <laughs> Listen to people like you guys <laughs> when you go out and talk to your councils. What do you think about the Bayer-Monsanto merger? Well, it, you know, it, it's interesting. A lot of people um, are scratching their heads and, golly, I mean, Bayer is really taking on a lot of potential liability. Uh, glyphosate is Monsanto's baby. It's the bread and butter. And Monsanto will say, you know, oh, no, it's only about, you know, 20% of, of revenues um, at Monsanto. And that, that's, that was true from, from a strict, you know, unit-based revenue approach. But all of the, the genetic traits, the crops, the seeds that they sell, glyphosate tolerance, the Roundup Ready, is such a key part. So if glyphosate goes away, um, all of that benefit to those genetically modified seeds, you know, they lose that too. So Bayer is really rolling the dice uh, that glyphosate is is not going to go away and it's going to continue to be used in, in great volume around the world and these seeds will continue to hold this great value. And I think that's why you see such a global fight. You know, you see Monsanto and Bayer putting so much into this. I mean, I don't know if you know the story about relicensing in Europe. Do we have a moment for me to tell that story? Please do. So... This was last December, December 2017. Monsanto's, well, glyphosate had been up for relicensing for since 2016. And, and they'd been bitterly fighting because, you know, the European Parliament wanted it banned. Many, many countries wanted it banned because of all of this information about how dangerous it is. They could not get a qualified majority to approve it for relicensing. And it was coming down to the wire. And, oh, my goodness, Monsanto was lobbying like crazy. Well, the final vote right before the license was going to expire, it came up and they didn't have a qualified majority. Germany had already said they were going to abstain and, and there was no way it was going to get relicensed. And then at the last minute, in sort of like a covert, strange text messaging thing, the German ag minister went ahead and cast the vote for Germany in favor of glyphosate relicensing against the government, against, against all of his cabinet members. And... Uh, and it was quite a scandal and Angela Merkel, you know, chewed him out like publicly. And it was, it was, but of course, Germany is where Bear is based. Right. And uh, of course, so of course, <laughs> there were call, calls for all sorts of investigations and this German ag minister, you know, why he would cast this vote at the last minute sort of secretly against all of the rest of the German government's advice um, is something that has raised a lot of eyebrows, but they only got a five-year relicensing. Um, they did not get the much longer uh, stint that they were looking for. So, Wow. Very, very interesting stuff. A lot of drama <laughs> around this company and this chemical. I was listening to another author um, on one of our other podcasts here in Australia, and he was a German author who talked about the history of Bayer in the Second World War and that they, I think, I think the figure was, don't quote me, but I think the figure was that they produced 35 million methamphetamine medications to keep the German soldiers awake for three days at a time in order to win battles. Good grief. And that was Bayer. Yeah, there's a whole book on it and it was a, a German. I don't remember the name of the author and I don't remember the name of the book. It was... 
Um, it was one of our um, one of the podcasts that I listened to here in Australia, but I will give that to you. So, yes. you know, and the fact that they're now creating dicamba ready because yes. they know glyphosate's going. So now they're creating dicamba ready. Would you like to address what they're doing now with um, genetically modified crops and changing the herbicide? Right. So this plays into the environmental impacts. So when they introduce genetically engineered crops, I always give you the long answer, don't I? <laughs> when they introduce these genetically engineered crops, the weed scientist at that time, environmental scientist, said this is a really bad idea because you're going to encourage the use of Roundup. You're going to use so much of it in such, such a way that weeds are going to develop resistance and you're going to have this huge problem. Farmers won't be able to kill these weeds. Glyphosate will, will lose its effectiveness. And Monsanto said, nah, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, of course, weeds became resistant. Farmers had to use more and more Roundup to get the same amount of effectiveness as they had. Used more and more. Weeds became more and more resistant. You don't have millions of acres of weeds resistant to glyphosate all around the world. So what Monsanto and the other chemical companies said should be the answer is, let's just combine more herbicides with glyphosate on new genetically engineered crops that, we, that will tolerate not only glyphosate, but also dicamba, or also 2,4-D, these older herbicides that are considered you know, dangerous in their own respects. So now we have new, new strains of crops. They're not saying don't spray glyphosate. They're saying spray glyphosate and also spray dicamba, and also spray 2,4-D. And so the pesticide loads that our regulators are, are saying we should expect in our food is you know, off the charts now in, in many different types of crops. And uh, not only that, but it's creating a whole new wave of environmental problem and damage and there are lawsuits going on in the United States over this. It's just, it's just a mess. Just ridiculous. Um, it's this treadmill, this pesticide dependent treadmill um, that the companies do not want to let us get off of. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Um, now, what else? Do, oh, there's so much that I want to ask you, like the ghost writing. You know, can you talk about what Monsanto's been doing with scientists in go, with ghost writing? Yeah. So, this, and this term ghost writing really originated from Monsanto because we see it in their own internal emails is how they refer to this what they've been doing. So we didn't invent this term. Monsanto invented this term. And how we know what they were doing is you see them discussing, and this all really comes about after the International Agency for Research on Cancer in 2015 said, you know, this is a problem with human carcinogen. So Monsanto, you see in these documents, Monsanto's talking internally about, all right, we need to discredit IARC. How are we going to do it? And one of the things they say is, well, we could, we need to get these papers and we'll, there'll be independent reviews of glyphosate. And we'll funnel this money and it'll get paid to these scientists and they'll write these reviews, but they won't really write them. We'll write them, and, but we'll pay them and they'll sign their name. So it'll look like it comes from these independent scientists. And remember, the, the Monsanto scientist says in these emails, remember, that's how we did the William Crozen Monroe study in the year 2000. And that really set off a lot of chaos when, that, when these documents came to light because the Williams study in 2000, everybody, I mean, that's something that regulators around the world have relied on and pointed to, to say, look, this shows us how safe glyphosate really is. Well, now we see Monsanto in these internal documents saying, oh yeah, remember, we, we wrote that. 
you know, we ghost wrote that and we just paid these guys to put their names on it. And we're just going to pay these guys now to do it again. Um, and you see other emails talking about a completely different set of research where a Monsanto scientist is writing about, you know, why he should get a great annual review. And he's writing about, you know, remember, I ghost wrote that research paper. Um, so what it means is, you know, literature that's out there in scientific circles, you might think that it's authentic and independent and it's not tied to Monsanto, but you don't know because clearly Monsanto is telling, <laughs> talking internally about, about how to color and manipulate, you know, that sector so that, you know, there was another one about reproductive effects of Roundup. Donna Farmer, a Monsanto toxicologist, you see internally or she's doing all these things to this paper and drafting and cutting and pasting and changing and talking about how, how Monsanto's Roundup doesn't have anything to, any negative reproductive effects. But when the paper comes out, her name's not on it. You have, you have all these other scientists. You know, not no one when, with Monsanto's name is on it. Uh, yet we know she did so much work in it. So how do you know that? Yet nobody else knows that. Because I'm a nerd and I spend <laughs> all my time <laughs> reading these documents. <laughs> I, mean, I just really... I mean, I, I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm sitting here just gobsmacked at this whole conversation. Same. And I really feel so sad for us that we are so freaking stupid and so gullible and so willing to be manipulated like this when, and I, I actually, I'm, I was probably feeling a bit aggressive there for a moment. I don't think it's true. <laughs> I feel embarrassed for us almost. Mm. Like how can we be so gullible? gullible. How, and how can we, but, but how can we hand over? How can we hand over the health of ourselves and the health and well-being and the future of our children and the future of our planet? How can we hand it over to those who care only for the profit? How can we be so blind? But not just one of us all of us, and nobody is looking other than the few, being Cindy and you and so on. And, you know, you guys have got a voice and you guys are out there, you know, sharing your story, but there's so much against uh, your message mm -hmm. that well, it, it, but it's false. It's don't you think it's easier? I mean, now we're digging down into sort of psychological things, but no. I, I feel like it's easier to not be worried, right? It's, it's easier and more comfortable to accept the message of don't worry about it. Don't worry about that insecticide in that apple. You're, you know, don't worry. It's okay. Like that's a more reassuring message. If you're a busy working mom and you've got to get your kids to school and you've got a job at the bank, you know, yeah, but I am to be worried. But my point is that when does life, you know, like for a busy mum who's working hard and, and trying to look after her family, I don't know if I'm missing something here, but I would imagine that the future of her family and the, and the livelihood of her children and her children's children would be of utmost priority above everything else. Yeah. Am I wrong? 
You know, I definitely agree with that. And, um, you know, I, I'm not very much fun at parties because I, <laughs> I, mean, I start, No, neither I, am I, clearly. <laughs> I bring my giant book from the, you know, FDA and the USDA with all the pesticide data on the foods that you're eating. You know, you're eating the chips and I'm saying, all right, that's got this pesticide. You know. So um, I think we just do our best. We do what we can, you know, to the extent that we can. And we try to care about each other and ourselves and our world. And, you know, we, we all do our best. And I'm doing my best to bring information forward that I think is really important. And um, you guys are doing your best. And right. We, I mean, that's how we go forward. I think, I hope. And I think, um, Karen, I, I, I'd like to answer your question. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a crisis for a mother to wake up. And if her child is nonverbal, autistic, um, or ADD, ADHD, or allergies, or food sensitivities, or some, you know, thing that's happening in today, it takes almost that for a mother to go, oh my goodness, what do I need to do to correct this? not only for themselves and their own family, but um, they then became, you know, like I look at um, a lady here on the Sunshine Coast um, who is a strong advocate for um, children's health. And she's, it's because she lost a child. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I know, Carrie, you probably didn't have a crisis. Yours was you were just an investigative, not just, but an amazing investigative um, journalist who wanted to get to the bottom of it and and you did and now we can all benefit from uh you know your investigation well and and that's true i have not had i've been blessed i don't i had a very close friend die from cancer but my family hasn't been touched by disease or cancer we're all pretty healthy but yeah i mean i have to say i've said this before even when i read my own book but when i finished the book my it's a jaw dropping it's jaw dropping to me to read the levels of deception, to read these documents and to know how strategically and diligently the industry has sought to deceive us all. And that's what really gets me upset because yeah. we, can, we can argue all day long and, well, does it cause cancer? Well, does it cause kidney disease? Well, does it cause... Well, you can argue about that, but you cannot argue that they have worked so hard to deceive us and that they have been so deceptive in their tactics um, and manipulative. And Why? If they didn't have to hide something, if, if there's nothing to hide, if this stuff really is completely safe, why go to all of this trouble for all of these years to yeah. be so strategically deceptive? I'm with you 100%. Mm-hmm. I guess, I, you know, I, I, I sit, I, I'm sitting here in such a conflicted state because I feel like where is the biggest problem? Is the biggest problem in that, us as society are not being responsible for our own health and well-being or is the biggest problem that we have manufacturers and organizations that are willing to exploit human life for their own profits without a care and those organizations are just a name they're just a name but they have a they're made up of a bunch of people and that there would be people who would be willing to sacrifice the lives of others. I mean, for goodness sake, if there's even just the slightest risk, 
would it not make sense? And I know I'm really talking like, you know, in an ideal world here. <laughs> but would it not make sense that if there was the slightest risk that it would be removed from the market and something else would be produced in its place? Like these are people that are working in these organisations. They're not, it's not an organisation that's devoid of people. Exactly. Like us. But you've seen this. We've seen this forever. You saw it with the tobacco industry. You saw it with Agent Orange. I mean, you saw and we it. See it with, and we saw it with Hitler. And, and asbestos, we saw it with Hitler. Like, people, you're right. I mean, and what is that about human nature? That's a whole other podcast you could do. That's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm sitting here gobsmacked by. Yeah. That's what I'm sitting here gobsmacked by. You know, that people will do that to people. Yeah. For, for what? I mean, the people that are working on those organisations, other than the fat cats sitting at the top, the people who are working in those organisations and writing those documents and doing the ghostwriting and so on, they're not even getting the money that comes from the mass production and the mass sales. They're just getting a wage. Mm-hmm. They are. That's true. So, but you so, see, right, you see this, you, see, you saw it with, with DuPont and, and all of it, their PFOA and their other chemicals, their own workers were... Mm. Terrible diseases and were dying, terrible, terrible deaths. Um, you know, and they just, but they kept working, right? I mean, they, they, they kept going to work. We, we see stories about that. It's people need to work, they need money. But there's a whole lot of, um, they tell you see it in the movies. It's, it's great movie stuff too. There's always obviously backhand payments. There'd be all sorts of incentives right. there that, that none of us would even be aware of. Look, I, I would love to. I would love to change tack here a little bit because it's. I can feel my co-hosts getting angry <laughs> and angrier by the minute. And I'm just going to bring it a little bit back into something. I'd just love to ask We need that. I'm just going to ask you something. Very, I mean, you said it. These were your words. I'm a nerd. What does that look like? In the bedroom, come talking to you oh, and say goodnight. Um, how does that look with your children being a mum? Like, are you a nerd lover? Are you a nerd partner? Are you a nerd mama as well? I'm just, I'm just curious. Uh, well, you name me, you name me one other ten year old that you know who knows the word glyphosate, who knows what it is, what it means. <laughs> that it. I mean, my children and my poor husband, uh, you know, have have taken this journey with me and um they're a bit nerdy too now you know my husband has become enraged by it but uh yeah i mean i don't know i love data i love to read documents i love science uh, i guess that makes me a nerd but uh, i also like to have a glass of wine and go dancing <laughs> and try not to think about the pesticides that are probably in the wine that i'm consuming <laughs> Um, I know. <laughs> Do you have the condition? Um, Orthorexia nervosa. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Where we have a, an unhealthy obsession with being healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do work out like a crazy person and I try, I've become so afraid, not afraid, afraid is the wrong word. I really, if you pay attention to what you eat, I think you you, your body tells you, you know, if you're eating a lot of processed foods and you're eating a lot of junk and stuff that, you know, is laden with chemicals and pit, you don't feel good. I don't feel very good if I do that. 
Yes, but people that are doing it day in, day out, sadly don't know the difference of that. Therefore, their bodies perhaps aren't giving them the same signals, even though they could have headaches or back pain or joint pain. We all know that people then would pop an over-the-counter pain medication for that, thinking it's it's a normal process of getting older or whatever. Right. Uh, just how, how do you... I mean, as a mum, when your kids go to a birthday party and I'm sure not all of your mummy friends are as aware as you are and there's, there's what are those things in America, Twixes or I don't know. Twix. Those things, Twix. you know. <laughs> I don't know, whatever those funny things are that look like a sponge, but they're Twinkie. actually pink, Twinkie, Twinkie. Twinkie. That's Twinkie. And maybe, maybe there's things on the table. Do you, you know, converse with your children around, look, like, how do you do that? Do you make it a big ban and you roll your eyes and you all look at that person as if they're going to die? Or do you actually kind of... <laughs> well, I'll tell you, all the, mom, the mums in my mum group now, they already know, <laughs> you know where I'm coming from and what the, about the book and the message and all that kind of thing. And they've become interested. But, you know, my kids are pretty good. I mean, my, my uh, teenage son... Uh, they don't drink sodas, you know, they don't, they want to be healthy. You know, we, we go through gallons of organic milk from this dairy, not too far from our house that actually will deliver glass bottled milk to the door, you know, <laughs> like they used to do it. Um, and we talk about, we talk about the food, we talk about organic eggs and what that means and why we pay extra for organic eggs and, um, and how healthy just water is for your body. Just drink water and hope it doesn't have pesticides in it. But, it's uh, hard though, isn't it, when our children, like particularly for me who have teenagers and and they're in environments where their friends honestly have no idea, and I say that with respect, but they've got no concept around that something that they could be eating could be making them sick. Um, right. Particularly my son's in a boarding school and mm-hmm. the food that gets dished up there is... I I don't I don't even know what to call it, but I mean, he has sometimes stood up for himself around the food, but he also got suspended at another school for telling the science teacher that butter was uh, better than margarine. So, you know, it's pretty tough when when our kids are slightly educated, more educated perhaps than someone else, but. Um, I remember when Jacob was eight years of age standing at the supermarket with a man with a big beer pot in front of us and he had all packaged foods and Diet Coke and all sorts of things and we just stood there very quietly and obviously the three of us had looked at what was in there and Jacob goes, well, it's obvious he's going to die soon, isn't he? <gasps> and, um, <laughs> so I did have to kind of teach him from a young age that, that we keep our little thoughts and feelings to ourselves but, but the man's answer was a classic. It was, yeah, but at least I'll die enjoying myself. Um, so you know I think to bring this all around a whole circle I, I loved what you said before was we can only do what we can do stick to our own lane support and educate as much as we can is there any other tips that you would give to those of us that aren't nerds that perhaps we can support ourselves and our families in better ways do you have top three or five tips you could give us around your knowledge to date oh well I do want to say before I my tips I think it's, this is a brilliant way to think about it. And I, I stole this from my nerdy deep dive reading into the National Toxicology Program 2016 report, but where they oh, were talking about. Well, actually, as a part of my environmental course, I actually did have to read. Um, well. <laughs> so on page 372, I'm here now. Yes. So, 
Um, so what they say very, and, and what the scientists are trying to tell us now is, are, we have all these environmental contaminants and we're getting cancers and we're getting sick and we're getting all of these conditions and our doctors are prescribing all of these pills and medicines and treatments and we're treating the illnesses. We're spending a gazillion dollars on this and going through all of this suffering when it really would be a lot simpler to just not get sick in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you can't prevent that a lot of times, but a lot of times you can. And you can do that by, by monitoring what you put in your body the food that you put in your body and, and you know, the state of your health. And, and you can avoid, we don't need to live in a world where we only think about popping pills to be healthy. We need to live in a world where we make ourselves healthy by providing ourselves with healthy food. And, and you can do that with just a little bit of education. So the tips are, you know, obviously organic food has less pesticide residue than does conventionally grown food is, it's the purpose of organic. It's part of the, the mantra and the standard. You know, synthetic pesticides are not allowed. Um, so that's an easy way to do it, right? Now, some people, you don't want to just buy organic. So look at, you know, where are the pesticide loads perhaps the most dangerous? And, you know, you can, you can read the data. You, there are different websites you can go to, but it's typically fruits and vegetables. It's fresh fruits and vegetables, strawberries are notorious for carrying hot, very high loads of pesticides. So, you oh, know, wow. strawberries, apples, pears, peaches, all of these fresh things that you think are so healthy. If you're not buying organic, you're getting a lot of pesticides. Is that part of the dirty dozen? Yeah, that? there you go. And this FDA chemist told me, he said, always peel your apples. And I said, what? I, the, the peel is the healthiest part. And he said, there, the pesticide residues in the peel of an apple are just so extreme. Always peel your apples. It doesn't wash off. It's in there. He said, it's also going to be in the meat because it permeates the skin. So it's going to be in the meat of the apple. But if you at least peel the apple, you're helping yourself a little bit. So, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot to think about. But pesticides food are known to be dangerous and, and, we, and the same thing could be said for the products that we put onto our bodies as well couldn't of it? course yes of course so um, i don't know are those are those helpful or not <laughs> or just scary i had I, one one good? reporter from the new york times who read my book she said you know what i read your chapter four about pesticides in our foods and she said i threw out everything in my refrigerator <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good thing, Carrie. I think that if you've educated somebody enough for them to go, I'm not doing this anymore, that's a great thing because the more people that do that, the more that the agricultural industry will realise what's happening. So here on the Sunshine Coast at the moment, um, there is a huge hub for organic, um, small farmer, local, um, you know, seasonal foods. There's a huge push here. And in actual fact, our council, being the glyphosate sprayers that they are, are trying to <laughs> are trying to create a hub where we can export, um, you know, organic foods around the world because we will be seen as a clean area. So, I look. I I applaud you for doing that to that New York Times writer because <laughs> if you've done it to her, you've done it to more people and. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to get people to stop buying foods with genetically modified foods in it, I think, number one. Stop buying packaged foods because you don't know what's in it. Just go to your local markets, eat local foods as best as possible in season, 
you know, make it in your kitchen. And as our beautiful Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride says, get back into the kitchen to feed our family, to heal this nation. Wonderful. Well, there you, you just said it <laughs> much better than I said it. <laughs> Oh, well, thank I, think, you, Carrie. I think a huge congratulations oh. needs to go out to you, um, Carrie, mm-hmm. for being a voice that can make a massive difference to those that have got the ears to listen. And I also want to put you in that basket, Cindy, because you are such a um, prolific campaigner for the health and well-being of humanity. And I think that you both deserve to be completely congratulated for the path that you've been inspired to follow. Mm-hmm. We are very blessed. Thanks. We are very lucky. We are very um, fortunate to have such intelligent crusaders yeah. um, marching on behalf of all of us. So thank you. Nerds, I'd say. Nerds. Nerds. Yeah. Nerds. Yeah. Nerds. Well, I can't wait to get to Australia. Yay. Oh, <laughs> tell, us, tell us when you're coming. <laughs> Two weeks, the first two weeks of, Austra- of, of August, I get to uh, tour a bit around Australia talking to people about the book. And um, uh, some wheat farmers have asked to meet with me and others. I'm going to do some radio and um, some other things. So uh, I have heard just such wonderful things about Australia. I think it must be such a wonderful country. So I can't wait to get there. Mm. We can hardly wait to have you here, Carrie. There is, um, there's a group of women that are all talking about you coming and um, they all want me to get you on conversations. Um, but we saw the answer, but I still think I'm going to keep trying. So let's keep our fingers Great. crossed. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Great. Definitely. Great. And if you fancy a glass of organic wine or <laughs> um, a beautiful organic meal, then there's three chicks here that would be very much interested, just saying. Oh, I love that. I think it needs sorry. to be done. Yes, I was going to ask you how we can get hold of you. What's your mobile number? No, I'm only kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We've all fallen in love, Carrie. (laughs) Hashtag new girl crush. Yeah, new girl crush. (laughs) Mutual, mutual. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, can can we plug my website, Carrie at CarrieGillum.com. Carrie at CarrieGillum.com. And spell that for us, darling. Oh, no one would ever just spell it right. C-A-R-E-Y. Carrie Gillum, G I L L A M. So it's. And do you have a Facebook page as well that we can go to? I do. Carrie Gillum Author. Uh, it's Carrie Gillum Author page. Um, I also have a personal page which uh, trolls have managed to penetrate and uh, abuse. So I've tried to lock down the personal page a little bit. And of course, I'm on Twitter and I, I really do. Uh, if you're interested, I tweet out, you know, on a daily basis, research studies, anything and everything that comes out about, you know, our pesticides and our foods and agriculture and what you need to know and point you to different uh, things happening in the lawsuits. And so it's a good way to, to keep up too. Fabulous. Perfect. And you also um, are in a group called US Right to Know. Do you want to just quickly talk about what that's Mm. about? Yeah, so U.S. Right to Know, we are a very small little nonprofit. I left Reuters two years ago and uh, went to work at U.S. Right to Know really just as a research director. I'm doing the same thing I did at Reuters. I'm filing Freedom of Information Act requests and going to the EPA meetings and reading through data and documents and uh, and writing and reporting on them. I've written in The Guardian uh, and Huffington Post and a number of other outlets and 
so, you know, it's a great U.S. Right to Know. We maintain a big database of documents and information uh, for media and members of the public and consumers. And, um, and the chemical industry hates us, hates us. with <laughs> So we must be doing something good. Well done. Thank you for everything that yeah, you do. It's, you. it's a privilege to have you on the show. And we, um, I think I can safely say on behalf of the three of us that we have felt it an absolute honour and privilege to, to have you say yes to us and also to share your knowledge and wisdom. So thank you for making the time. You are so kind. Thank you for having me. Now, for all of our listeners, no doubt, you guys are going to have so many comments, so many questions, and um, your own thoughts and opinions about all of this. So, you know, feel free to be as passionate as you need to be, and some of us are just a little like that. Here's three we prepared earlier. (laughs) And um, go ahead and post your comments and your questions and your thoughts and experiences right here on our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and you can also post your comments at all the w's dot the wellness forward slash up for a chat carrie thank you so much for your time thank you so much for your commitment to the cause like i said thank you for being a crusader on behalf of humanity we love you you're amazing your book is whitewash it is available for all to purchase both um we can get hard copies and also online is that right can we get an ebook a kindle Ebooks and audiobooks for people who don't like to read. <laughs> yeah. So we've got all bases covered. Yes. Um, you guys have got co- Carrie's contact details, but we will also make sure that the contact details where you can reach out to Carrie is going to be on and follow her is going to be on the show notes. So for all of you gorgeous kids out there who are jogging right now or doing the shopping, when you get home, make sure that you check out the show notes and make sure that you start to follow Carrie and become more self-aware and more responsible and more um, educated in all of the areas that um, unfortunately our manufacturing companies are not supporting us. So I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm so proud of all of us and I'm so proud of you girls. And thank you so much for being the brilliant advocates that you are. Join us here next week on Up For A Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And don't forget, guys, we are going to see you on the hike where the air is fresh and the food is fabulous. We'll see you guys all on the hike around Mont Blanc. Yes, there is more to come on that. We are ready to announce the trip. If you're interested, info at karensmith.com. That's where you need to send your info and your, um, your expression of interest, and I'll make sure that you get everything that you need. If you've already emailed me, don't panic. I have you, girls. I have you. So we're going to see you here next week on Up For A Chat. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating when you go to your iTunes to log on. Big hugs and all of our love. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.